doctors so that he, this 21-year-old could get on with his life, but he wasn't a match. So he went into a pool of different families all coming together, all matching, but, you know, kind of crossing over. And he's recently had a matching stem cell, sorry, organ transplant from an unknown donor and his uncle donated to someone else so that you know, there was a complete pairing, pairing of donations. And he's now getting on with his life. Yeah, because until you're in that position, when you need something desperately, people just don't understand the importance of sharing your body. Our body will grow, you know, we were born to give. And I know there's a stigma within the black community, but we need to understand that there's much more to this story. Um, About blood donations, because as you know, it was my very first blood donation back in June. Yeah. Well done. I did it. Thank you. How how is that compared to um, organ donation? Well, out of the three forms of donation, blood donation is is the easiest one. It's the one you do and you walk away. And you've done your bit. And then you you come back maybe 12 to 16 weeks later and do it again. So three times a year for ladies, four times a year for men. I've got it's my book in October. Well done, well done. Sorry, can I just say, I've got special blood. Just so. Are you, are you RO? Blood, yeah. You're RO, well yeah. done. Yeah. Well done. RO blood type is found in the black community. And yeah. it basically, that blood type is used to help sickle cell patients. Yeah. It's, yeah. We call it gold. What, what, what do we call it? We call it the golden blood. It's. Just, no, just black gold. Black, black gold. gold. We call it yeah. black gold. Black gold, Beverly. From now, just call me black gold. I'm black gold. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, in, it's interesting you, you you mentioned blood donation because what your experience was what is something that we've been doing a lot since. Again, because of personal our own personal journey, Daniel was part of his journey when he started at the age of six receiving the chemo. He needed blood transfusions all the time, and that's that's a, that's a common theme for for patients who have a a blood cancer. As part of the treatment, they receive blood transfusion. Mm-hmm. Now, it's important that the, that the blood they get is well-matched. Mm-hmm. Um, most people who receive a blood donation will get it from a white person who just happens to have the same blood group as them. That's okay on a one-off basis. When you need regular blood donations, like sickle cell patients, like blood cancer patients, like Daniel was, you need your, your, your blood group is important, and so is your ethnicity. Because so few yeah. black people are giving blood, it's created something that we talked about earlier, um, the silent crisis in, in our community, especially the sickle cell community, where there's nearly 15,000 of those patients who are looking for well-matched blood donations, but they're not getting it. So it, it's it created, creating a, a silent crisis. So what you did at Tottenham, your first journey is important because the more people like you, black people give blood, the, the better the chances of those patients finding having a better quality of life. Definitely. You know, it's so, so important. And it's all about the quality of our life and extending that and, you know, as I said, sharing and oh, giving do. back, giving back what we naturally have. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so all of the problems that we talk about with George Floyd created by a racist white police officer, we all know that. But actually, um, with what we're trying to do, we need the support of our people to make this work. Otherwise, we are discriminating against ourselves yeah. and we can't have that happening. So 
which, which, which is why we say, you know, Black Lives Matter, well, let's prove it. This is on us. We can shout to others and say Black Lives Matter, and rightly so. But when it's something where we can make that we are the difference, um, we need to step up because we're the solution to the challenge, to the problem. And um, blood donation can be the stepping stone to people going, oh, I did blood. I can take a cheek swab or give an extra blood sample to be checked for bone marrow stem cell purposes and do that and wait to see if you are a donor. I mean, the chances of someone being a bone marrow stem cell donor are astronomical. You know, we always say you might have better chances with a lottery win than being a donor. But by being there, you're giving someone hope. Yeah. And if you can do blood and you can do bone marrow stem cell, you might seriously consider going open donation. Yeah, it's no brainer. It's, it's something that's going to happen when I'm gone, but it's going to benefit yeah. my own people. Let me do the triple crown and do all three. And that's that's what we try to do. It's a stepping stone. Uh-huh. And blood usually is the, is the easiest way. But some people say, you know what, I don't want to do blood. I'll go straight into bone marrow stem cell and I might consider blood. Or, you know what, I'll do organ and I'll, I'll work backwards. So we just try to give people different gateways to creating an outcome that is positive for our people. Yeah, as well as your um, fundraising events as well. Everyone can do their own bit to help the organisation as well. So you, you you run quite a few fundraising events as well. Yeah, we've 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 done some we've done quite a few fundraising events. Um, uh, we we've been holding for many years a what we call the Gift of Life fundraising ball where. You know, during the Black History Month of October, we would, or, or late September, we would hold it and have five, six, seven hundred people attend to raise funds to get the awareness, but also, also to have a lot of fun um, and to mix with well-known celebrities who come to support our cause and have and have the celebrities be the table host for the guest mm. and have a great time, have an intimate time with. Mo Gilligan to Andrew Cole, the footballer, to and, and do all sorts of things. You know, yeah. um, one of those occasions, we even had Prince, the wow. artist himself, turn up. Um, this is back in the day when he was doing oh, his 21 God. nights at the O2 Arena. He was staying in the hotel next door and his one of his backing uh, artists was at our event and he came to support and he turned up. And so for us, it's a case of getting celebs to be there, but this is for the people to That's enjoy true. and to benefit from the fun, but the awareness that when they leave is in their minds about, I had fun, spent a lot of money, had lots of drink, but it was a serious message about how I can do be of service to my community. Great. We've you got a question. Today, but we have got questions in, in the chat room. Yep. Let's go back to a few. Joe, did you want to say anything before I find them? No, I was going to talk about, uh, you're on the right track. Questions, yes, yes. So we've got a question from Julie, our Julie Juice. Let me go all the way back. Do you do any awareness training? Awareness sessions online? We, no, no, we don't. We don't, but no, we, we don't really. We have ambassadors yeah. that come on board to help us at awareness events, registration drives and fundraisers. And when um, these ambassadors sign up, we send them lots of information about who we are, what we do and how we do what we do. And when they come to events, they get on the ground training. Okay. But but because of the situation we're at right now, 
you know, if someone wants to join, these contact us. We can we can speak to them um, and to get them involved. Um, maybe have an online um, meeting with them if needs be, just to familiarise um, with, with them. But um, once they're once they hit the ground and they're mentored by other ambassadors who are more experienced, they they get it straight away because it becomes very natural. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that you call them ambassadors. Yeah. Let people not get confused. Volunteers, right? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, we, get, it's nice a, in ambassador. Yeah. COVID, honestly, it's it's had some good points as well. And one of the changes that we made was they are volunteers, but actually they are our ambassadors yes. because they help to spread the message. Yes. And it sounds so much nicer, actually. Yes. Absolutely. So yes, they are our ambassadors. Yeah, and and when you went to Tottenham, you would have, you would have seen some of them some there, of the and it was the first time we'd, we'd actually been together, been together for 18, 18 months. months, and you saw and the. They were so fired you up. Saw it in them. Yeah, I, I witnessed that. It was, you know what? At Tottenham, it was a beautiful setting. I know you always Wasn't get calls and everything. I yeah. really hope you they are able to permit you to use that again. It was an amazing time, considering they were also doing um, the vaccinations. The vaccinations, that's yeah. right, that's right. Yeah, but but again, that was a that was a classic example of, of someone of, of of influence and 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 celebrity working with us because yeah. at that session, um, the ex Tottenham football captain Led, Ledley King mm. left the vaccine sense side of the ground and came round to where yeah. we were and. <laughs> Showed his support and, and and he himself gave blood at that session. Well, that's amazing. You know, that's up because people can talk, but you have got to talk and you got to do the walk. You got to do it. And that's he right. he, yeah. he gave blood for the cause. Then that's right. that's what it's all about. And that same week, um, Spice in in our uh, group as well. She gave. Hi, Spice. I love your hair. <laughs> She's just stunning at all times. I've got other questions. Thank you. <laughs> I've got other questions and statements as well. Um, okay. I'm hoping, um, DJ Smiley, um, your question, do you think the black and ethnic community are willing to give blood? That has been answered already. Keith? Well, interesting. Before yes, we go, I hope you'll just allow us to tell people about that event that you went to, Ali, was United yes. by Blood. We yes. just, we're on the verge of launching a new campaign which right. will come to fruition at the end of September, beginning of October, called Bonded by Blood, A Mother's Story. And yes, the black community will give blood if they are given the right message. Yes. And we like to think that we are the messengers for this subject matter because um, we want our community to give blood in very large numbers. Yeah. Our, our, our community can and always and will doing amazing things mm-hmm. that everyone else copies because of the way we do it and the style and the manner and the, and the swag, the way we, we do things. But to, but to actually do it, to get started with our community, we, we've always found you have to dig a bit deeper to get that reaction. Once, yeah. once we get it, literally our people are saying to everyone else, get out of my way, I'm coming. Yeah. We are coming as an army to, to make a difference. But we, yeah. it takes it takes a bit of time and, and to find the, the right to turn that light switch on and suddenly they it's there yeah. and we come yeah. running in our droves. That that session that you went to, Ali, 
yeah. over 550 black people signed up to donate blood. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, now, yeah. Let me ask a question. If I smoke weed, right, does yeah. that affect my blood and my, or my ability to donate? It, well, no. it, it, it doesn't affect your ability to donate. Does it affect my blood? I don't think so, because <laughs> I, be, I honestly believe that if it did, they wouldn't allow you to donate blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If, someone, if, someone's taken, if someone's taken some really seriously what hard drugs, yeah, that's different. Yeah, what they generally say is just make sure it's out of your system, come and give mm-hmm. blood. And before you come and give blood, just make sure you drink lots of fluids and things. But yeah. that's a general thing to do when you're donating blood anyway, to make sure that you're hydrated. But if you're smoking weed, it has not been something that we or the experts at NHS Blood and Transplant have been concerned about. And that goes for blood donation and, think, and for bone marrow. To be honest, and I think people cell. do things that are a lot worse. Yeah. 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 I'm not even sure if smoking weed is, is that bad. So there's your answer. If you drink, as long as it's not to, to excess. They say that if you drink, fine. yeah, just um, you can drink the night before, but don't drink on the day that you've donated blood. Because obviously, if you're donating blood, you don't want to be drinking alcohol because it will make you feel drunker much quicker. Yeah. yeah. And, and, the one, and the other thing that, especially from the black community, there's always that question well, if I have sickle cell trait or thalassemia trait, is it right. true that I can't give blood or join the bone marrow stem cell registry? Yes, you can. Yes, you can on you both counts. Both. Yeah. yeah, that's a big myth. If you've got a trait, you can. Somebody did ask that question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there are more questions. Way. We get I've, that got another, I've got another one from Julie. Uh, yeah. um, her brother is currently with leukemia for the third time in 10 years. Yeah. Is it rare or have you seen others with reoccurring episodes? Unfortunately, like all cancers, people relapse and cancers do come back. And th- this is, we saw that with Dan uh, two, two times. Daniel relapsed um, after his first bout of treatment. He relapsed after his second bout of treatment. And even after he had his stem cell transplant, he relapsed in his testes. Wow. But they were able to get rid of it. If, if, yeah. Did you say Julie? If Julie wants yeah. to get in touch with us and have a conversation, she can um, just visit the website, aclt.org, and our number's there. She can give us a call during working hours and we'll, we're happy to have a chat with her. Yeah, because it's, we'll yeah, it's, it's kind of news, Judy, where your brother came out, was it two weeks ago now, from his treatment? Yeah, yeah, went into remission. He was in remission for seven years. Um, he'd had, he'd actually cultured his own stem cell. They stem, they gave him back his own stem cell um, eight years ago when he was in remission yeah. for seven years. Uh, and then it, it came back. So yeah, it's been out two weeks now. Um, and um, yeah, they were flushing him with antibiotics, all kinds of stuff. He had a brain hemorrhage about a month ago, so we had an end of life call. Um, and yeah, he's pushed through. So um, lost a lot Harold, of weight. How old is your brother, Julie? He is fifty-eight now. Fifty-eight. Okay. Yeah, what, what Julie's saying is that when he had his stem cell transplant, 
they used his own stem cells for the transplant. That's called an autologous transplant. Yeah, they clean it up and then well, put they it back. They clean it up and put it back. And it, it can work, right? Because mm. many people have that procedure done. It can work in circumstances. It's unfortunate that he's relapsed. But um, Julie, if you want, you can give us a call in the office. And yeah, thanks. have a, a chat with you away from... Um, yeah, I have donated as well, by the way. So yeah, I donated mm -hmm. to um, Shuey's um, campaign that he did. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. So that from people, um, Beverly and Orin, um, from Eshe Escoffrey, your journey and persistent fight to challenge the system is a blueprint for others to achieve progress and results. Um, D. Alexander says the discipline that you both work towards, I salute you. Uh, Mikey Hammer, persistence is a key here. Defo in regards to progress. Imagine they couldn't stop yet tried, you came through in the end regardless. So a lot of positivity for you guys. And I know, I know you mentioned earlier that you're now recognised. I think you mean you're now recognised nationally. But for me, I know your name goes before you within the black community. So you've always been known, but, it's, you know, nationally is where you needed to be. Yeah. Yeah, so um, yeah, that's our that's our current challenge. Yeah, in the, in the chat box, I've actually placed a link. If anyone's interested in wanting to find out more about how they can give blood, it's actually a link that takes you directly to the holding page on the blood services page. Yeah. And if you do go through and register, when they track it, they will know it's coming from ACLT because it's got special codes in it. It's just to right. allow people to find out a bit more. Um, yeah. And to go directly and, and register because, as we as as you did in in at Tottenham recently, you know when we do this next campaign, bonded uh, bonded by blood, a mother's story in late mm -hmm. September, early October, mm -hmm. that's going to be that's even going to top that campaign that you you went to at Tottenham because it's all about mothers and their journey and what they've gone through, like what Beverly went through with Daniel. And to try and get the community to be motivated and inspired to step forward um, in that month of all months, October, to make a difference. And yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. Black History Month, isn't it? Yeah, October Black History okay. Month, the, the same month that we tragically in the end uh, lost our Daniel. So there's lots of, uh, lots of significance and symbol, symbolism with that period of time. September is Sickle Cell Awareness Month. So we sort of straddled these two months with a lot of drives up and down the country. And you'll see, you'll hear about it soon. And you'll see this campaign with all the mothers involved. And it's going to, um, it's going to make a, a massive difference. So if you want to get on board, click on that link I put in there and to, in, the in the chat box. And when you get the call from NHSBT about wanting to give blood, say to them you want to be part of Bonded by blood. And they will have the dates and locations and you can be part of that massive campaign in late September, early October. It was my screen. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's our Dan. Is that yeah. an ongoing the, uh, promotion? Well, this is, that is yeah, that was, where we're asking people to support us with monthly dire um, direct debit donations. Yeah, All of the funds that come yeah. in just help to keep the work going, you know, if if yeah. if a hundred people donate five pounds a month, you know it just kind of helps to keep the work ticking over. So yeah, that's a continuous 
ask that we have of people to support what what support the work that we're trying to do. I've been doing I've been doing that through my work, my payslip for the last ten years. Oh, Alison, do you are you on our database? Do you get emails from us to explaining what we get any emails? No, I've been no, I, I know I know what happens. There is a there's almost like a, a security a, wall where people who donate through their payslips, we see notification that someone's done it and it's come through, but we don't know who the people are. Right. Okay. So, that, yeah, that's, that's never transferable. I've been doing it for at least 10 years now. Could you do us a favour? Could you yeah. just um, email us at info yeah. at aclt.org? Okay. Info at aclt.org and just say, hi, it's Alison. Yeah. These are my details. We'll put you in our system and then we can keep you informed of what oh, your really money is great. doing. Oh, that's great. I'll do yeah. you. Thank you, guys. Oh, also, um, also, um, Bev and Orin, I wanted to say, yeah, yeah. Do, sounds do you like Mr. To... C. Oh, hush him out, Joseph. Him hush him out, Joseph. <laughs> and you also have the facility where if people buy stuff on Amazon, then a percentage yes. of it goes to you as well. So please let oh, people know about that as well. Yeah. So that's and not, um, enough of them women here buy things from Amazon every listen, week. <laughs> listen, I am constantly on Amazon. I don't support Amazon because I know that they do some terrible things, but it's just so easy to go to Amazon and buy Amazon stuff, right? Smile. So there is a, they have a charitable site called Amazon Smile. And if you, once you register with Amazon Smile and pick your charity of choice. ACLT. Which has got to be ACLT. <laughs> yeah. Every single time you purchase something from Amazon, ACLT gets a, a small donation from Amazon. And actually, we've seen quite a bit of funds coming through each yeah, month no extra because of this. Yeah. And it's at no extra cost to you. Amazon makes that I, donation. I wish I knew that because I shop on there literally. Is that spice? Four, three of the week. Yeah. yeah. You know it. Yeah, spice. Honestly, There's a question Amazon in the chat regarding smile. spice because you can see it there. The question is, is Spice's hair colour a side effect of giving blood? <laughs> it's, she's not, it doesn't make you an. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't turn your hair blonde. That's just natural beauty that Spice has got there. Absolutely. I've just got a few more things in the chat room. I, I don't want to uh, miss anyone out. Uh, Teresa says, my mother, one sister, and nephew, all had kidney transplants, and another sister had a live donor. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. Dion, how do we go about giving stem cells? Do they have to visit, register? Yeah, visit the web, visit aclt.org. We've got a brand new website, so I can't even remember, but I yeah. think there is a drop down box that should say donate. Yeah. Click on that box and then click on stem cell, and you can register to donate stem cells via that page. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and, all, and all you get back when you, when you register for stem cells, you get. Some cheek swabs in a package sent to you. you That's you... nothing to do with COVID. <laughs> no, no, trust me, it isn't. And all you do is swab the inside of your cheeks for about a minute each side, and you put it back into the envelope. It's come. It, yeah, it, it's and send it back to the registry. They will test to see in real time if you match another black or mixed race person around the world needing a bone marrow stem cell transplant. Mm. The likelihood is you you aren't, you aren't going to. So you get back the donor card. Yeah, miraculously, if you if you can, great. 
Yeah, they say during he was lottery winner for Daniel. And we found found over 100 stem cell donors just purely by people registering at our event. So it can happen. happen. And it's the greatest thing, right? You can save someone's life. But um, if you don't match, you get a donor card and just get on with life. Knowing that every time you hear a bone marrow story around the world, especially a black one, you have been checked. Yeah. To make sure that, you know, they'll check 36 million people around the world to see if, if there's a donor. And obviously there's a small proportion that are black, mainly black British and African-Americans. And hopefully they'll find someone. But the more volume of us on, on, on standby, the better the chances. Yeah. Uh, you wow. Quite a few people like Pinky who said um, it's sad, but I'm not good with injections of any kind. So I think that's just for the blood donations. But needles, uh, needles. Pinky, bless you. <laughs> you know, lots of people come to our events who don't like needles, but they challenge themselves mm. and they literally walk away feeling ten feet tall. So Pinky, if you want to donate blood, I will come with you and hold your little hand. Yes. I would even come with her. I would even come. I'm, I'm, I'm DJ Smiley, and I don't ramp. So she, can, she can hold on to me, no problems. And for me, for the first time I went, I was just so happy that the atmosphere there is very encouraging. You've got a lot of people there who look, look after, who are looking after you at the time of donating blood. I didn't realise, you know, I've got a really comfy chair, Everything was just there on on point, and it's very relaxing atmosphere as well. And Ali, what did you get after you donated? Uh, what what did I eat? eat? Yeah. Well, there wasn't much things that I I left there really, but I had my what? My I got a face pack. I got a Red Bull. I got some planting chips. Thank you. Oh, tighten the tins. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And the vibe was the vibe was special. Well. So it was just all very friendly and, you know, and for my first donation, I did want to donate typically at a black uh, blood donation bank. I needed to do that first. So, you know. And, and Alison, did they did they message you after to let you know which hospital your blood had gone to? Yeah, mine went to Hammersmith. Right. Yeah, mine went to Hammersmith. And that's um, quite poignant because that's where my friend had his kidney transplant. Okay. Yeah, that's right. You do get a text. I, I I get a I get a text. I mean, I I've done mine. Ah, interesting. That's a question. There's a picture of me and the actor David Harewood after he donated bone marrow stem cells. Okay. And that's Jim, the actor Jimmy Akinbola is the, is at top giving blood. Can I just ask? Is there somebody called Liz Harvey on the call? Yes. Yeah, just on it. Liz, thank, thank you. you so much. We, we get notified straight away. Thank you. <laughs> I've just I've just signed up for the Amazon Smile as well. Oh, bless um, you. a friend as well of mine, Paul Francis. He gave the um, bone marrow. Yes, Paul Francis. We yeah. registered. We registered Paul Francis at an event. Um, From and Trinus. It, yes. Trina, yeah. That's we, we we registered him, and he went on to be someone's donor. Oh, brilliant! Yeah. Yeah. That, that, I that's remember when he did do. it, he videoed it on Facebook. That's yes, right. I did. That's right. Oh, thanks, Liz. Thank you so much. Question. The next time Dave Harewood, David Harewood is going to get a donation, I don't mind being there to hold his hand. <laughs> 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 Just let me know. Just let me know when he's there. 
I tell you, I tell you, that was a special, that was a special moment for me to, to be there with David because he he'd match an African-American gentleman and he, he flew back from filming. He was filming in Eastern Europe and he came back to prepare for that, that donation. And I was the only one allowed to be with him. So I was taking pictures and chatting with him. Oh, wow. And his, his magic number of stem cells was 249 mils. And he, he, he was so emotional afterwards because he realized yeah. the enormity. And actually, we sort of bookended his story because there's a picture of when he joined the bone marrow register mm. back in, at the Nottingham Carnival, where there's a picture of Beverly taking his blood. Okay. There's a picture of Beverly, and I'm taking this picture, and that was the beginning of his journey, and I was at the end of his journey when he actually donated. So mm. it's, he's symbolic of, you know, it doesn't matter how famous you are, yeah, it's yeah. what you as an individual can do as a human being that makes a difference. And he proved it categorically, and he's been proving it ever since in all the documentaries yeah. that he's been doing um, for all of us, for the benefit of all of us. Yeah. Big up, Dave. Um, can I just say something? I just noticed that Joe's put up that picture that you got your um, British Empire, Order of British Empire. So did Joe, you forgot to put that at the end of their, their title. <laughs> you, you, that's, you shouldn't be doing that, Joe. You need to put the titles. Which <laughs> put them letters. You need to put them down in future. So yeah. anyone else, put it down. Oh, and yeah. Yeah. Don't worry, we're going to beat Joe. We've got a function coming up. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to just lawsuit. throw some bricks in his head. Call the lawyers, lawsuit. <laughs> but hold on a minute. Let's start the things. Um, Beverly, first. Here you are. Is that Princess Margaret? Princess Royal. That's Princess Anne. That's Princess Anne. Oh, that's yeah, Princess Anne. Yeah, that's Princess Anne. Princess Margaret is dead. She's dead. Yeah. <laughs> Princess Margaret wouldn't um, be doing them things. She's she's still there trying to chase black man. <laughs> How did you feel, Beverly, when you was here on this day? Okay, so first of all, she's standing on something. Why she okay. looked so tall? Yeah. Um, oh, it was well for me. It all went back to Daniel because he'd already passed. I think Daniel had passed three years earlier. So my thoughts immediately were with Dan. I felt that he was with us on the day. And um, I know that he would have felt proud. And, um, yeah, um, and it, it was just, it, it was it was lovely because I had my daughter, Orin, my sister Angela and Orin's mum was with us because you can take four guests. And it was just, it was just, it was, I guess it was, people said, oh my God, your work's going to get so much easier now because people recognise these things. And um, to a certain extent it does. And to be honest, to this day, I still forget we've got it at times because it's lovely, but the work that we do, we're so impassioned by what we do because we believe in what we do so much i get up in the morning and i just want to go to work when daniel passed i don't think i took a day off because i just really didn't need that time in my head to be fermenting i just continued so i feel thankful for the obe i feel thankful to have had my beautiful son in my life he's made me the person that i am if I could turn the clock back and he never had this illness, I would switch it back in a breath. Yeah. But, you know, reality, you know, I just, we just move forward and just do the best we can. And I pray 
that when I pass, he is there to meet me. That's that's the one thing I live for. Yeah. And how about you, Oren? How did you feel in this picture? Um, wow. Um, yeah, I felt honoured. I mean, it happened six, six months after Beverly. There were two separate honours lists. Beverly's was in the, the June 2011, and mine was the New Year's Honours of 2012. And I was, yeah, I felt honoured. I was surprised because I, I, up to about 10 minutes before that picture was taken, um, none of us knew that it was actually going to be the Queen. And they, they, they suddenly said to us, oh, by the way, Her Majesty will, will, tell you, will speak to you. And we we're like, well, she's here? And that yes, she's here. And so suddenly you have to prepare your mindset differently. But suddenly it's, 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 you know, she's there. But it was great. And, you know, my two sons, and my mom and Beverly were with me. And, um, yeah, recognition, but you, you, you get it and you enjoy the day, the moment, and you put it on the shelf, it's done. Mm-hmm. But the body of work has to be the main thing. So whether it be Pride of Britain or OBEs, mm-hmm. um, the pats on the back, the acknowledgement are great, but it's all about the cutting edge of, well, what have you actually done? What have you actually achieved? And the ultimate thing for us is bringing one person who says, I'm inspired, I'm going to step forward and in the hope that some someday down the road, directly, indirectly, they're going to help someone else who is in need. And it happens at a faster speed than what it should be at the moment. That's all. It's all about time, bringing these two parties together. And that's what, you know, that's what we're about. I always said from the start, you know, we drive the bus, an old double-decker bus. One of us drives, one of the conductors, everyone hops on, hops off. And if you mm-hmm. hop on, you hop on that journey. When you hop off, you've done your bit. But the bus will still be going round. And that's what yeah. we're doing. And for us, using athletics parlance, we'll get to a point sooner rather than later where we're going to say, you know what? It's time to hand the baton on yeah. to the younger yeah. generation. It's your turn. You run the race. We've mm-hmm. set the standards. You, you, we'll push you up above our shoulders and push you up and keep pushing you up. But we'll always be at the, at the, at the base. The foundation. Oh. Yeah. The foundation. That's a beautiful way to conclude. I, I don't know, you know, is there anything more? But I think that's a beautiful way to conclude. That. Now, 50 years ago, two of this country's main railway stations, Euston and St Pancras, operated what was known as a colour bar, meaning black people were banned from working there. A Kent man, Asquith Xavier, risked his job and the anger of his fellow workers when he went public and demanded the rules be changed. Originally from the Caribbean island of Dominica, Asquith was one of thousands of people who migrated from the Caribbean to the United Kingdom after World War II. After a long campaign by Asquith on this day in 1966, British Rail was forced to scrap the colour bar at Euston Station. If you head to the concourse today, you'll find a plaque that honours Asquith's legacy, unveiled by his family. Ian Palmer has tonight's special report. Asquith Xavier, the man who challenged the colour bar and won. It's a remarkable story. His granddaughter only found out herself when she read a magazine article in 2006. I was brought to tears and really moved with emotion of his story, of how hard he had worked to make sure that there was equality among black people um, in the workplace, in housing, and financial services being made available. And that's why 
uh, they were able to buy, my grandparents were both able to buy a, a property here in Chatham. In 1966, Asquith Xavier applied for promotion as a guard at Euston. He was told black people weren't allowed to fill public roles in the station. But after that, he got, you know, death threats and people thought that he was seen as a bit of a troublemaker because obviously he wanted to make a stand. So, um, so yeah, he, he won his fight, but he had to endure quite a lot of abuse as well. Undeterred, the father of seven fought back. He not only won, but his case helped shape the Race Relations Act in 1968. It was an important breakthrough in both legislation and society accepting that racial discrimination on the grounds of colour, but across a wider spectrum, was unacceptable. And it was a part of a movement towards the 76 Act, which made it more comprehensive. The house behind me is where Asquith Xavier made his home in Chatham. He was forced to move the family out of London following a series of death threats. A few years later, he died from a stroke at the age of 59. Athena Xavier believes the stress and constant battles her grandfather dealt with was the reason he died relatively young in 1980. He wasn't sick before this, before he went for the job. So, yeah, stress can bring on the stroke that he had. Four years ago, a plaque in honour of Asquith Xavier was unveiled at Euston Station. His family was there to see it. There are calls for a similar tribute to be erected in Chatham. Since the death of George Floyd and other deaths in police custody, the fight for civil rights has taken to the streets once again. Few marchers would know the name of Asquith Xavier, but the fight and the struggles we see today are the same. Ian Palmer, BBC Southeast Today, Chatham. Well, there we have it, guys. I'm going to open the floor to you guys. What are your thoughts having seen that? Don't all unmute at once. <laughs> okay, look, scared because you're on Facebook. But there we go. As, as we say, as, as he said at the end, it's the same struggles. We continue to have those struggles today. The thing about it, anytime you struggle in any aspect of life, it's like a weightlifter in a gym. He struggles to lift the weights, right? But the more you're lifting the weights, the stronger you become. Did I do that? I didn't do that, did I? Liz Harvey is in the building. Um, and now, now you guys can... Oh, Lord. You lot can unmute yourself. Can you not unmute? I haven't blocked you lot from talking, have I? We're here, we're here. I'm oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, it's an amazing thing that here it was 50 years ago and we see that we are here and we're fighting the same struggles. So share sound. And yeah, so, so nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. We're, we're doing the same, 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 same old. And we're getting stronger as a result. So who do we want to become? Right? Like TMJ, for example, has decided to start her own website business. Am I right, TMJ? Is it a website business? Well, let's just say that struggle got real. 
I haven't done much with it at the moment. Um, I'm doing other things. Um, but not to come away from your subject, looking at the struggle. I think the struggle, we have to be, we have to be prepared to fight for what we believe in. Absolutely. But at some point, this repeated cycle is wearing. Um, of course. And we just need to choose our battles, you know, but as you know, um, with this COVID and the how the injection, the passports that are coming along, that people, I, I saw a passport today. Has anyone actually seen one of the passports that people get? It exists. Yes, it does. It's, it's basically a certificate that verifies that you have had both jabs. It's put in um, pretty paper in a nice in a nice pack to verify that you've had both your jabs. And I've seen that I mean, this is the passport that people are talking about. Mm. And so, you know, this is we're going to see more of this in different ways, more of this discrimination, not necessarily because of colour, but because of choices. Right. But we are going to see more of these type of discrimination. Um, at the end of the day, the, the fight will continue. The battle is real. People have to continue to try to push forward for what they believe in and understand their legal their legal rights. Because what I what I understood about um, Asquith was that he knew intrinsically it was wrong and mm. then there was legislation to support him. Right. Sometimes you have to know and just go forward. The, le the legislation might not always be there. Right. Right. So you, your belief, you have to have faith in what you believe, faith enough to make take the steps to push through. Eshe is in the building. Oren Lewis and Beverly DeGale are in the building. ACLT is here. We, we'll have them on momentarily. But that is a key aspect, isn't it, Teresa, um, TMJ? I'm glad you brought it up. That you have to have the conviction of your beliefs to push forward in what you do. And it's interesting that you said the battle is it's tiring, isn't it? You know I mean, what? it's just it's you, you get tired after a while. The, the lack, the lack of education, particularly when we're talking about the court, the judicial system, the amount of people that are going in the judicial system, and that's where they're getting you a lot of you because you're because the lack of education around rights, you know. Right, we're that's all of us though. We, what, who cares? We just want to live. Yeah, but it, it, it's there's a lot of other tactics when you talk about community isn't there when when you talk about in-house what's going on in-house to where it's projected out in the community and the reputation and i think the lack of education can destroy your life um and i found out that the hard way um knowing you know when you're going up for complaints and you want to tell somebody what's happening to you, but nobody's listening to you. They listen to the other side. You become victimised over and over again. And I think it was because of back then, I never didn't know my, I never knew my rights. So the system was able to manipulate me. People were able to manipulate, shut you down in certain little ways. But the minute I started getting education about those rights, the amount of times if I was up in court, I was able to present those rights which then, oh, mm, they only speak certain language, okay? Right. <laughs> you go to the, 
you go to apply for something now, you they don't see you, they see paperwork. Yeah? Right. And then if you right. do have an interview, and I saw this happen to somebody that was quite qualified, you know, you do have an interview, again the indifference is somebody squirming in their seat. And and that's the the frightening part about the way life is sometimes the indifference is somebody just just wants individual people make up their individual mind and project their belief on somebody else that's why we suffer happens over and over and over again spice you're gonna make me uh i'm making you host um and then you you can make me co-host if you will please now that i see that your camera's on but yeah that's that's a very very valid point these people through the courts are very powerful people, right? And they have knowledge of their power. By contrast, we're not so powerful. And they will, as it were, lord it over unless you have resources to fight. You, you know, that's what's going on with this COVID. Unless you've got the resources to fight the battle, classic. you're just, you've got, you end up having to take the jab. Here's a class. Here's a classic. You talk about the, the, the in society the amount of criminal activity and injustice that's going on, but who representing of somebody that actually looks black? You know, this very rarely does any lawyers represent somebody that can speak about discrimination and understand discrimination. So how can somebody represent you if they don't feel or understand that type of discrimination? That's that's a difficult one because. It's like, it's, it's like, okay, classic example. I had to, in, in housing, I would challenge somebody who had a disability, mental health. I'd say to the housing, do you, what do you know about mental health? Have you had a lived experience? Do you know anything about it? They will say no. Therefore, no. they can't comprehend what that person was feeling like and how desperate they got. And so then it's, it's by whether or not you fit the qualification, whether you fit the bill, whether or not they like you. Somebody is uneducated when making a decision on people's lives. That's what I found out a lot of times. Uh, Ned Zach says here in the chat, if Mr. Xavier, the individual, did not impose his will on the government, there wouldn't have been an end to the colour bar in the railways. Kind of surprised at this colour bar, because if you look at London Transport now, TfL and all the rest of it, Dear black people work for them. Ah, oh, black people work for them. Yeah, they, them, they're saying, if, if black people stop working for them now, TFL will just be finished. Stop. Yeah. And it was them that had the colour bar. Yeah, but you see, that's what I was saying in terms of you've got to know what's intrinsically right and go for it. You can't, and then and then everything else will, will, will open up. You can't just sit there and wait for somebody to say, to open it up for you because they're not seeing from your perspective. So mm -hmm. I like what um, Nishtak was saying that, you know, he, he, he knew what he had to do. He knew it was intrinsically wrong. And then let the law catch up with him afterwards. Let the government catch up with him afterwards. You just have oh. to go. You have to go. You know, too many times we sort of like cower because it's not been done before or somebody hasn't said it or it's like we're looking for permission. You have to know what's right and just make a move. TMJ, you bring a, a humongously valid point, and your words are just so telling. You know, you have to know, you have to make a move, you can't wait. And we have uh, 
two people in the building today uh, that did just that. Um, I don't know if you can see the picture. Let me know if you can and when you can. Uh, Oren Lewis and um, his, I'm not going to say, is it Beverly. his wife, Beverly, the wife, did I use the word wife? Beverly DeGale. Uh, for, uh, we're going to hear all about it. Obstacles, obstacles with regard to their son who in 1993, at the age of just six years old, was diagnosed with leukemia. And I guess that's when the, uh, the battle really uh, began. ACLT has wow. now been running uh, yeah. for in excess of 25 years. Uh, yeah. Around the clock uh, to bring awareness to uh, the black community regarding um, various things concerning blood, leukemia, and all these things. They, they are here in the building with us. Um, and this evening, we, we, we are going to talk the things about them. Remember, ACLT is a charity that committed to helping provide hope to patients living with blood cancer and other illnesses where a matched donor is required to save a life. Their work is driven by belief, TMJ, just as you mentioned, that no one should die waiting for a donor to become available. Now, what we're going to do, um, Oren and Beverly, are you there? If you want to turn your camera on uh, so that we can give you hosting. Um, so that's Spice. So if you can give Oren and uh, Beverly co-hosting so that they'll be able to um, unmute. And then let's just get a check. Can you, can we hear you? Good evening, everyone. Oh, Good there you are. Yeah. So, uh, so it's just wonderful that uh, with the use of technology, here we are. We're talking the things live with Oren and Beverly uh, of ACLT. The charity has done phenomenal work over many years. I've been there. I've seen you guys fundraising. I've seen you guys at events. Um, you know, really talking to people about things that they have no idea of. They don't know what's coming down the pike. Um, they don't know that if they fall ill, there might not be a donor because enough black people don't give of them themselves in terms of blood and so on and so forth. Um, so you're really championing a cause for people before they're even aware of it. And if they become, when they become aware of it, you're there to provide help and support. And I could only but imagine just there's just a whole lot more that goes in. Welcome to Shams and Giggles. Welcome to Partner Things. <laughs> Oren and Beverly. Great to have you with us. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for that great Thank welcome. Thank you very much. What a lovely welcome. Oh my god, we should come here. <laughs> That's how we do. <laughs> <laughs> Shams and Giggles. By the way, Plush is gonna join us as well. Where are you, Plush? Turn on your camera. Plush has um been an avid supporter. She um, donated blood herself, and yeah. um, I yeah. think just each month out the um, as she gets paid, money goes to your account to some oh, people. Thank you. Very appreciative. Oh, that's very much appreciated. And there she is. Hey, hey. Thank you. 
I call Thank her Plus so Beverly. I mentioned to her, to, uh, her to you to, earlier today as Alison. This is we call her Plush. So, okay. so yeah. when, when you asked her for her surname, I'm saying Plush, but Plush is not her surname. Okay. Yeah. Uh, lovely to lovely to meet you, Alison. Thank you so, so much for your support. Again, I was um, honoured to meet you guys recently at Tottenham. Yes. Oh, right. Okay. Blood. You yes. came and gave blood. Oh, bless you. You know what? And I got to meet you guys who I've been supporting since 99. So oh, thank you. So it's good to have you on this platform today. Welcome. Oh, thank you for having us. Thank you. And huge thanks to Mr. C for putting us in touch with absolutely. you all. Mr. C, an avid member, absolutely, uh, works alongside with us. And also, he has his show, as you know, on um, Tuesday, um, which is uh, What a Week. And they review things, that, current affairs that has gone on during the week. But, I mean, what journey you had, leukemia, you yeah. know, was Daniel your only child or did you have other children? Um, well, okay, so Orin is Daniel's stepfather. Right. And right. I also have a daughter who is Daniel's full sibling. Um, she's three years younger than Daniel. And Orin has two boys. And both of our two children are around the same, same ages. ages. The youngest, was, my youngest boy is similar age to our daughter. And my oldest boy was slightly older than Daniel. So they okay. paired off very much in age. Um, it just happened to be that, that way. Yeah, it worked well. Okay, so let's just put the picture together. Because in my family, um, there's different dads, all the same mom. So we're a mixed family, but when we grew up, there's seven of us. We're just brothers and sisters. It wasn't no, oh, there was just we're just family. Uh, was that the same with you guys? Yeah, yeah. My I, the, the way it, it sort of evolved. Um, myself and Beverly took different paths before we met. We, Beverly had her two children. I had my two children, and then uh, later on, in, in many years later, the two of us came together. Um, soon after Daniel was diagnosed with leukemia. We're talking the spring of 1993. Mm. And we never looked back. Um, you know, we became a unit as a family. Um, my, my two sons have always been close to, to this family. Um, you know, we, and that, uh, they all call each other brothers and sisters. So right. even though they were separated in terms of where they lived, but to, you know, they treated each other as, as, as siblings. So for us, this journey, myself and Beverly, starting with Daniel um, soon after he was diagnosed, took us on this momentous journey uh, with Daniel being the catalyst, the reason why um, things happened. Uh, it's only when you look back, you suddenly sort of think, it, we didn't know it at the time, but things happened for a reason. Mm. Daniel, mm. Daniel was the reason. Uh, that brought us together and the ACLT being formed and many, many lives being saved and people being inspired to do things, um, especially in our community, against, like what you said, doing something, uh, giving something of yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, and for us, you know, that journey started 25 years ago, but, um, it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a continuation uh, okay. process 
And so, yes, it started with Daniel. And we, we just move on, move heaven and earth to try and make sure that other people, other families, especially parents, don't go through anything similar to what we went through with, with Daniel. That's what we're trying to avoid. That's the ultimate thing, and to save lives. <laughs> Take us back when um, Daniel was ill. What was, what was happening around that time? How old was he? How long before, through his symptoms, was, was he diagnosed? So um, Daniel was diagnosed when he was six years old. He was, that was in 1993. Um, I was working at the BBC at the time um, on a major project, with, um, which is actually how we met, um, working on a project for BBC Broadcasting House. Um, and just before I met Orin, Daniel um, started to have flu-like symptoms, which we just assumed was flu. The doctors, um, our GP assumed it was flu and tried to treat him with cow pole and the usual stuff that they give kids, mm-hmm. but it wasn't doing anything. And um, about a month later, um, myself and Daniel and my daughter Dominique's father, who was my husband previously, took him to our GP and suggested that they do a blood test because we were deeply concerned. Yeah. You know what? It's interesting about what you, what you just said is that flu symptoms. Yeah. GP always flu symptoms. Yeah. Same with my well, boy. My boy is autistic. Yeah. Flu symptoms. I think, yeah. I think the problem with leukemia is that leukemia affects the white cells in the blood mm. and our white cells are what stop infections. Right. So the um, initial symptoms can look like you've got flu, right. yeah, because he had um, typical flu symptoms. But but actually, what what actually made the doctor agree with us that he needed a blood test was that Daniel also was presenting with bruising um, and um, and other. Yeah, his lymph nodes would his lymph nodes were raised. raised. So they he checked his his points here and mm-hmm. in his groin and other areas, and they were all raised. So mm-hmm. he was he suddenly looked concerned, and I saw this concern in his face, but I kind of swept it away because I just hoped that there was nothing. And the same evening that he did the blood test, um, a female doctor came to our home and gave us the news, and we were immediately taken to our local hospital, which was Croydon at the time. We went to Mayday, where they immediately put down on antibiotics. And then we were blue-lighted over to Great Ormond Street Hospital, Mm. where they had to determine what type of leukaemia Daniel had, because there are different types. It turned out he had a childhood form. And then to work out what was the best treatment to give him to try and beat the cancer. Right. I've been to Great Ormond Street. Beverly, they worked quite swiftly during that time. It was like a whirlwind. Well, if, well, to be, well, okay, so that was the fourth trip that we'd had to our GP surgery. Yeah, because previously, as I said, they kept trying to tell me it was cowpox. But I'm sure some of your mothers that are listening, even fathers, will know that when you have a gut feeling about your child, always stick with it because the doctors sometimes just don't know. GPs are general practitioners. They are not experts in, in this case, hematology, blood cancers, 
Mm-hmm. No, they don't know. You have no, to challenge the doctor. They really, exactly. really, really exactly. don't know. Exactly. So on and the I've been there. Trip. I went with, to my doctor with paperwork in hand. And I after this was just struggles upon struggles, I said to him, Doctor, look, if you really don't know, let us know and then we can actually look for other help. Yeah. But don't exactly. act like you're experimenting with this, yeah. that, and the other when yeah. the child is suffering. Exactly. If you've got a gut feeling that something's wrong, just go with your gut feeling because as parents, we know our children. One of the other, th- one of the other things that also that, um, can be missed because they are GPs is that we, we have, we've got darker skin. So certain, certain things in terms of especially the, the, the uh, platelets um, not forming properly and the bruising may not stand out so clearly on our dark skin than it does on our white skin. In the, in the, what Aaron's saying is that um, in our blood, we have something called platelets. And platelets stop us from bruising mm-hmm. when we bump ourselves. Up, yeah. But because the leukemia had infiltrated Daniel's blood so severely by time they decided to take it seriously, mm-hmm. the platelets had reduced, which right. then created bruising in the skin. Right. And right. Daniel had this, but it wasn't so obvious because he's actually a darker complexion than I am. Right, right. So we don't, obviously, it's not as visible. It's and not. Funny enough, visible. when I'm talking from experience, my son with his autism, you know, with autism, it's a different thing, but he was subject to injury because they're not in full, full control. When you yeah. go to the doctors nowadays, I don't know what it's like back then, but now it's a lot more... Uh, I don't know. You feel like you're you're under investigation, interrogation, so you see them. They're literally searching over the child yeah. for bruising and, and so on and so forth, as if you've done something to yeah. deliberate. Mm. So, you know, your time period. I don't think in them days they were as stringent in in looking over uh, for uh, it's abuse. That's what they're looking for. For yeah, abuse. yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I know, think I think I mean childhood cancer. It's there. But I think for most doctors, they will not assume a cancer in a child that is so young. But we know, certainly through our work, that sadly, childhood cancer, we've worked with children that are months old that have cancer. I mean, it's horrific. And I think it's getting worse. But, you know, doctors will will generally steer away from a cancer diagnosis because you expect to see cancer in someone that's older. And so in your case, with your job, you guys are having to fight tooth and nail because you're fighting against the tide. They're, they're not believing what you're saying. So you really have to come forward with evidence. I mean, that's got to be quite telling. I mean, yeah, it, I mean, for, I, I, yeah, I think for us, once once the diagnosis was made, um, we, we were taken to Great Ormond Street. They determined what type of cancer it was was what type of leukemia it was and immediately they started the treatments which was great and from there on they were very much on top of everything but um i think generally right up until the george floyd incident last year we are now seeing that actually black and asian and minority ethnic patients do not get the same treatments yeah Uh, the george floyd thing has brought this out and we are now participating in many surveys and other research papers that are going on to try and make this a level playing field. Yeah. Well, well, you just raised a telling point because we just was discussing, it was on the TV recently, the black maternity scandal. 
Uh, and that black women giving birth are, they're just not treated the same. So obviously you're just saying black people as a whole are not treated the same when when we find ourselves in, in hospital. So that just adds even more to the challenge. By the way, what does ACLT stand for? So we are the African Caribbean Leukemia Trust, but we are known by our acronym, ACLT. ACLT. Yeah, many people know the acronym. But yeah, the, the it's, it's, it's interesting because when we when we started, you know, the original name being African Caribbean Leukemia Trust, and then over a period of time, the as you say, the acronym becomes very, very much the, the the gateway into people having a conversation about this. And then some people say, well, especially those from outside our community, what does ACLT mean? And we tell them the full name, you know, and it's you know, and it's and it's, its motto and and you know saving lives through you know and, and, and promoting uh, bone marrow also known as stem cell blood and organ donation and when someone says to us well tell us in a, in a nutshell what you what do you do you know for us it's well we save lives right we, we, we save lives with, with, with the help of the community nationally regionally internationally by just spreading the message so so that one person you know like plush can, can can hear a message and go yes i can give blood i can do this i can do that especially when it's helping one of my own and that's what we that's what we do yeah. right and you was at the pride of britain awards we're going to talk about that but hold one second aclt the afro-caribbean leukemia trust is in the champs and giggles building we are talking the things um go on Pride of Britain. You was on the Pride of Britain Awards. And guys, by the way, any questions, please put it in the chat, okay? And then we'll come to your questions momentarily, yeah? I have I've got a question though, Orin. If we before we go to the Pride of Britain, because you've had many achievements over the years, but if we go back to diagnosis and understand Daniel's future and the treatment ahead, compared to compared now to then. You know, we've got the internet where we can research and find out all this information. This, you've got two young children. You know, you're bamboozled by information. How did you start to understand the limitations of the treatment for Daniel? And how did that affect you? And, you know, what led you to create the foundation? It's a very, very good, very interesting question, that, because... When we started, we started the charity in, in, in 2nd of June, 1996. That's when we started. But the journey had started before, okay, yeah. in terms of the personal journey. Anyone going through a serious health issue, personally or through a loved one, you go and redo your research as fast as you can. Yeah. And you learn, you come up to speed learning a terminology, a dictionary of terms that you never thought you would have to know and you're literally speaking a foreign language in many, many ways. That was, that was the journey for me in Beverly. And this is at the, the dawn of the internet. It was really was the early, early days. There was no social media at all. Um, you know, you had AOL and I think you had Yahoo. Mm -hmm. But it was so primitive, very primitive. And so we, we started to absorb what was being given to us by the by Great Ormond Street Hospital and at, at Mayday Hospital um, to learn all this stuff, the, the chemotherapy that Daniel was getting. It would be it'd be researching online what we could find, 
Mm. Um, library. Like, yeah, every, any, anywhere, everywhere. And so you come up to speed very quickly. Mm. And um, at the same time, you, 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 there's no breathing space, literally, because you, Daniel's journey day to day, week to week, month by month is happening. Yeah. And you're yeah. absorbing all these changes and his changes, his ups and downs that he's going through. And we're learning the job, the ACOT's starting in its, in its formative way, how to how to run a charity. So it was, I suppose for me and Beverly, is taking everything that we learned through our jobs, mm. the experience of, of our jobs, and put and catapulting it into this, because mm. this is something that's so important. You know, nothing else matters. So you throw everything at it, and that's what we did before the internet really got going. Now it's different. Yeah. I guess everyone's everyone's researching on their phones, on their laptops, and their pads. And they're finding the information there, good and bad, and indifferent. Well, also now we're finding worldwide information. So, exactly. you know, Canada, Australia, America, you're finding information that doctors here just are not up to speed on. And, uh, you know... Yeah, because it's all out there. It's, it's, yeah. all, it's all out there. And some yeah. of it is good, some of it is bad, because the internet is not... It's, it's not, the wild, wild west. It's, it's, it's the, yeah, it's the wild, wild west. People yeah. can put anything on it. So you've got to try and work out what is true, what is false, and just hopefully hope that you get the right bits that you need to have the correct information. Yeah. And so you learn all this stuff. And so that when you do go back and have your one-to-ones, the doctors and the registrars at the hospital, you know, giving you the update as to how Daniel's doing and what, what he needs, what changes in the medication and and prognosis going forward, the little bit of information that you've learned, you use it as, 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 as your armor just in case you need to question what's, mm. being, what's being told you because it's a download. They're the expert, right. and you have to try and believe that what they're saying and doing is, is 100% correct, but you have to be armed with enough information to question, and, and which is what we were doing all the time. We never take the verbatim that they were always 100% right. As Beverly says, you go with your gut instinct when something isn't right and you question. And that's what we would, we would be doing all the time. How do you find it now that you are educated, you are armed, you have that armor now? When you're helping families, uh, do you actually go along with them to see doctors or sometimes and so on? How do you find it now talking to the doctors that you have this wealth of knowledge? Well, the, the last eighteen months, it's been—it's not been as as it was, but um, it's very helpful for the families because I know certainly when we first got the diagnosis, and we've got doctors sitting in front of us telling us what Daniel's going to go through. I literally went in one ear, straight out the other, because our heads are still trying to get around the fact that you've just told us our son has an aggressive form of leukemia. He's six years old. He's looking at me asking me, mum, am I going to die? Can you imagine wow. as a parent having to answer that question? You know, so now one of the main things that we try to do is when the families contact us, we try to be with them through the treatments, um, the end of treatments, sadly, where we stay with them when the loved ones are lost because not everybody makes it. And we stay with them for as long as they need us. But, you know, and, good and, and then and then, of course, when they're at the hospitals with their with their consultants, um, we will if they need us, we will go with them and sit right. and ask the questions because. 
sometimes the parents are afraid to ask some of the questions or sometimes they're just so bamboozled by everything that's happening they forget to ask the question so if we can't be there we tell them we, we, we suggest that they write all of the questions down so mm. that when they're sitting in front of the consultant they don't forget to ask the right questions sometimes they don't know what questions to ask sometimes they don't know what questions to ask we, but we know the questions yeah. to ask. By, by our experience personally and professionally through the ACLT and what we've learned um it's allowed us to turn the utmost negativity and negative circuit road and journey into complete contrast of a success and I can think of a couple where a particular um, uh, young lady, mixed race young lady who we worked with to try and find a, um, a, a bone marrow stem cell donor. I remember Beverly saying to her at one stage this long journey that she was going back and forth checking the whether there's a donor out there with her doctors and Beverly saying to her tell them to check the blood registry to see, to see whether, there's, whether there's a donor on that registry who's joined the bone marrow register through that gateway. Mm-hmm. And in the end, the donor was there. Wow. They just hadn't done the search on that side, yeah. but it prompted this patient and the family to, to question uh, and to ask on that side. And success, right. the donor was right. found. And, and, th- and then another one where there was a Nigerian um, mother mm-hmm. who, um, living here in the south of England, she desperately needed a bone marrow stem cell donor. Eventually, her, her, her sister in Nigeria was found to be the match. But home office protocol and all sorts of things, and the doctors, um, hadn't, the doctors hadn't even checked properly. And again, right, get them right. to church, get them to check the family in Nigeria. Donor was found, and then red tape got involved. And we had to lobby the home office mm. to eventually get the sister come over and to uh, overturn through an appeal so the sister could donate to the sister in, in, in the United Kingdom. But that's all come about because of our own learning, personally, yeah. Yeah. to be able to impart that assistance that we can give um, when it's needed. Well, I mean, what you just said, there was loaded. I mean, how do you lobby the home office? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I tell you, social media, it's got its bad parts, but God, it's got its good parts as well. You just make people aware, you set up a, um, one of those um, what do you call petitions. It? petitions online, mm. and they move fast. And also you write to the MPs of the patient mm. to get them to help. But, but, but also, you, you know, in 25 years, we've been able to position the, the profile, uh, the the... The role of the ACOT in, at the highest political uh, uh, and, and medical infrastructure levels to the point that um, we can, as Beverly has done just recently, you know, written to, to the, um, the Home Secretary um, mm. to, to try and get support on someone who's a constituent um, uh, for her to, to do something politically at the highest level to get something at question time. And we can do that because we We've got the track record, the experience. We've paid our dues, right, and it's, right. it's been noticed at the highest level to say, you know what? Let's see what the ACLT thinks. What they, you know, they've done it. Definitely, credit to you guys because I know definitely. I remember when I started hearing about you by Choice FM all those years ago. You were under the umbrella of the Anthony Nolan Trust, and then you developed your ACLT. So it hasn't been a smooth journey for you. So it's been, you know. You know, your parents, 
you're looking after your son, going through all these health challenges and building up the momentum of ACLT to where you are today. That is, you know, an amazing achievement. But it's had its hurdles along the way. Oh, yeah. It has. And I'm glad you mentioned that because even to this day, at times, it feels like we take two steps forward and three steps back. But but and we've seen other organizations from other minority ethnic communities try to set up similar things that we've done with ACLT and they've fallen away because sadly, sometimes big organizations do not want smaller organizations coming in and trying to do good work but we stuck with it we've stuck with it and now we are starting and i touch wood as i say this Mm. we are starting to um get the respect definitely the work that we're trying to do and so if people talk about um fame that word, black, Asian, minority, ethnic, black or Asian or whatever, in this field of stem cell, blood, organ donation, transplantation, mm. ACLT has, um, is now the charity to go to yeah. um, if you need speakers, advice, or if you need help in yeah, order yeah. to get in, get in with the community. Yeah. But it's been, but it's been, it's not been easy. It's no, been very challenging. We've had, we've had some, we've had people, very influential people, public known people, big organizations literally try to shut us down. Yeah. And it, in many ways, and like Beverly said, we've seen many black and Asian organizations who we've, who we've mentored and try to get them up to speed to, for the long journey. And they've, they've, They've all disappeared um, mm. because they've been shut down. Inter- they've had in- conflict internally caused by ex- external forces, divide mm. and conquer, divide and rule. Yes. They've tried it with us. But yes. They're, they're messing with, with the wrong two people. Wrong people, wrong people. Well, well here, it's so interesting because all of what you're saying there, I, I, I see it. It's just loaded. I mean, you're writing to the government and having your message did i hear that right being yes. read out on question time yes i mean yes. that's huge who does that i mean who has that kind of <laughs> i know i know i know so kudos to you guys the thing is the Joseph, you've got nothing to lose right they either do it or they don't if they don't okay so we move on to the next big thing but you know, sometimes it works out. These are the ones that work out. There are many that don't. And we, keep, we keep trying, but, we, we, trying, isn't it? Yeah. but we've, yeah. always, we've always, from the day one, our original motto was by any means necessary. Right, right. And we've right. always lived up to that, you know, in terms of there's, there's, the potential is so great. It's the enormity of what we, we collectively can, can do um, in terms of saving uh, ourselves. Um, it's powerful. It's something we just that we, I don't think we realize the, the enormity and the power of what we actually have. Mm-hmm. But George Floyd, especially what happened with George Floyd and, and, and uh, last year, has really sort of it's been a game changer on many aspects of, of of black life and on black health. As you say, suddenly it's brought out all these stark statistics of, on black health, and now mm-hmm. people are questioning and saying, now you know, we pay our taxes. You need to now spend the money in the right places so we can have 
equality, real equality on health and on social. The oppression has been uh, there that we couldn't see until George Floyd. And now it's here, it's for us to take it. So, but you, you um, powered through before this and, you know, 25 years strong, um, a hell of a journey that you've been on. And how did it feel when Daniel received his donor? How did it feel for you? That get- was, um, yeah, that was that was immense. It, it was like somebody took the lid off of a boiling kettle, and suddenly it, all of the pressure that 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 we had, and I, and I'm going to say more so me was under, yeah. suddenly yeah. was lifted. Um, and I think we were told about two three months before he actually received the donated cells that a donor had been found. They found donors previously who did not come forward. Can you imagine? Yeah. So, so when this one came through, we were very cautious in not saying anything until those stem cells were actually being infused into Dan. And it was just the most wonderful, amazing feeling. It was the beginning of a new journey because obviously your body has to accept the donated cells and you hope that the leukemia will not come back again. Um, uh, but it was, there was nothing else that we needed to do. That was it for Dan now. It was just now to build on his strength, hope that the leukemia didn't come back, the treatments would, would do what they had to do. And then, of course, the hope that he would get the all clear and that maybe one day we would be able to meet his donor to say thank you. Yes. Right. Your don- his donor was... From recollection in America, female from America. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Do- Do- Doreen Carney, a born again Christian in um, Detroit, Michigan, had, uh, had registered. Uh, probably, in fact, it was less than a year before she donated to Daniel um, because of a big appeal for more African Americans um, <laughs> to donate, and uh, she did. And very quickly was told, "You match a, a, a boy." That's all mm. she was told. Wasn't mm. told where we, she must have presumed is maybe someone in the United States. Yeah, she knew yeah. someone. Ah, she knew she. So she would have been told it was a boy, young boy, external, and that was it. But she right. she spoke to her family, she spoke to her pastor, and they all said it's the right thing to do. To do, Doreen, you know it is. And she said, yes, I just wanted reassurance, mm. and she did it. And um, some people on this call might might be wondering, well, what what is bone marrow? What what does it mm. look like? Is it is it bones? Is it bits? And, Actually, it's it's a it's stem cells. To give it its correct correct term, is a, is a is a a fluid which which um, you can either get from the bloodstream because technology has now allowed stem cells to be taken straight off the bloodstream in a very simple process, or it can be taken directly from the bone marrow in a very simple procedure, which is not painful. It's it's not not a huge drill or anything like that, um, and it looks like a bit like this fruit juice. Yeah, it looks right. a bit. Like this fruit juice, and it's then given to a courier who goes onto a plane around the world. And in this case, it went from Detroit to London, Great Ormond Street in central London, where we were, where Daniel was in a germ free room. He'd been there for about a week, um, mm-hmm. waiting this. And it was just, yeah, 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 I think in isolation and yeah. uh, isolation for, for a while. And then 6 45 p.m. on a Wednesday, 16th of June. 1999, simple infusion 
into him 45 minutes later. One journey of six years. Mm. Yeah. But then the new journey, as Beverly said, to uh, to his body to adapt. Was it only, was it only one treatment, one um, dosage of the bone marrow? And how much, how many mils was it in there? It would have been. It was very small. Yeah. It was a very small bag. I'd say it was Don't. about about. 350 mils of stem cells is what and in total for the donor it's five percent of the donor's stem cells and for the donor the stem cells that they donated replenish so they don't lose anything it's a bit like giving blood very simple procedure that but has massive impact Mm. um, for the patient and for the patient's family yeah. You know what? You mentioned something earlier. I listened to all your comments because you're you're talking, but this is experience talking. So inexperienced, your comments are loaded. You mentioned the girl in Detroit uh, had just signed up. Now, I don't know if it's coming to effect, but there's the you. Everybody signed up, and they have to opt out. Is that right? Oh, yeah, so, yeah. So, that's not stem cell donation. Yeah, that, this that, is that, what you're talking about is organ, organ donation. Yeah, yeah. But on the stem cells, also known as bone marrow, um, that's, um, that's an international um, registry. So people, when right. we started, we started right. on the bone marrow stem cell because that's what Daniel needed. Right. So that was our main concern, um, getting people, especially black and mixed race people, to register because they hopefully might be a match for Daniel or if not Daniel, someone else. In this country or anywhere around the world, but it's an international search. Right. And as Doreen proved, she's in the US, we're over here, they found her. Mm. Organ donation, like blood donation, is national. That doesn't go beyond the UK borders. Mm. So, what, what you're talking about, Joseph, is the other form of donation, which is organ donation, where the law was changed in May last year, where everyone's classified as being um, wanting to be consenting to donate their organs when they pass away. Right. So that, that, that was the organ donation change of law. And it was actually done to benefit those black yeah, black, black and Asian and South Asians predominantly those two groups because we um we have find it hardest to find organ donors because organ donation like stem cell donation is linked to racial matching of the two people, donor and patient. Right. So for you guys then, would you would it be your hope that that would sort of grow? as just organ, but continue on into blood and stem cells so that everyone's opted in and obviously it would widen the net for people who have a need, isn't it? Yeah, you've just nailed it, it, actually. Yeah, you've just nailed it. Yes, we want our people to seriously consider donating their organs when we've passed away, or if not all of your organs, some of our organs, so that our people that need organ transplants can benefit because sadly for kidney donation, for example, when you go into a dialysis center, especially in the, uh, in London and in the highly populated areas around the country where black people and Asian people live, when you go into those dialysis centers, they are loaded with black people and Asian people on dialysis. And when there are white people, they are there much for a much shorter length of time because right. their people are donating their organs when they pass away. Right. Black <laughs> people do get matches and yeah. they can get matches from white people if they match, but the best match will come from 
someone from the same ethnicity. Yeah. And that's part of what we are trying to do to get our people to understand that actually organ donation, when we die, our organs will either go into the ground with us or they get burnt to a cinder because we're cremated. And we're trying to say, don't allow that to happen. If you can, donate them and let your family know of your wishes. Right. So, what is the reason that people are more prone not to be on the donor so, or in? Yeah, I, it, it's understandable why there's a reluctance and a hesitancy um, on, on all forms of donation, especially organ donation. Organ donation is probably the biggest taboo. Yeah. Okay, because there's, there's a lot of cultural and to a certain degree religious. Um, baggage that comes with it from the black community, primarily because what, what was done to us mm. over a long period of our history yeah. in the yeah. Caribbean, in the Americas, in South America, in Africa, right up to recent times, there, there are some very famous or infamous um, events in our history where things were done to us in terms of research, experimentation, done, done to us in such a way that it is criminal. Um, and no, you know, no apology, no, no admission that it was done to us by white doctors, mm-hmm. whether they're in Europe or in America in, and, and, and other places. That's gone through the generations by word of mouth. Now you can find all mm-hmm. that on the internet, again, documented. That has stopped a lot of black people saying, you know, we're not going to do this because we know what's happened in the past. You're going to repeat the same thing. And even if I if, even if I donate my organs, you're not going to give it to. It's not going to go to the right people who who need it. Our people. Right. What we're saying is, we totally understand and agree. What happened? But we have to put a stake in the ground, a fork in the ground, and say this one's on us now. If we if we step back, and and stop the opportunity for our people to find the donors, on system, then we are. Yeah. It's a double whammy. Mm-hmm. To our people, and our people, like Bobby, Bobby says. We're seeing people on dialysis for years and years and years, and sometimes it's too late by the time they find a matching donor because we are opting out in record numbers or we just... Yeah. My, my friend, um, he had a very bad virus back in 2013, and it, it led to his kidneys failing. And as soon as his kidneys failed... Uh, they give you six months because they said it can repair itself over that six months, but it wasn't repairing. But luckily for him, he had a live donor, which was his brother. Right. Um, but unfortunately, they weren't they weren't a direct match. But within that year, they were able to find another live donor who had um, another person who needed a donor. So they swapped donors. That's oh, right. Yeah. yeah. 